Hello and welcome to another episode in a brand new series of the Health Pulse podcast. I am your host Greg Horn and in season two of our podcast series we will be focused on health innovation and looking to uncover where technology and new approaches will change the world of health and life sciences. So as you know by now, uh, we are producing the podcast in two formats. And if you've been an audio listener, then I'd like to suggest that you also check us out on the SaaS software channel on YouTube. And of course, we always welcome your questions and comments on both the YouTube channel and our email address, which is thehealthpulsepodcast at sas.com. So for this episode, I'm going to be joined by my guest, uh, Dr. Patricia McGuire. And Patricia is a professor at University College Dublin, and she is the director of the UCD Institute for Discovery. So welcome, Patricia. Thank you for joining me this morning on the podcast. Can you just tell me a little bit about yourself and your background and what you do at UCD? So thank you so much, Greg. It's a real honor to be here today. And uh, so I am a biomedical scientist. I studied science in University College Dublin. And while I was doing my PhD in muscle biochemistry, my father actually took his very first heart attack. And I got very interested in platelets and blood clotting and also I suppose, from the perspective of what can go wrong uh, when platelets come together and form a clot or a thrombosis, which leads to so many heart attacks and ischemic strokes around the world. So I got really interested in platelet biology, and that's where the focus of my research lies these days. Fantastic. And uh, your role at the the college uh, now, so tell me a little bit about that and what you do today. Yes, so I am a professor of biomedical science. And uh, my research is focused on platelets, and I'm sure I'll speak more about that to you, Greg. But I'm also the director of the UCD Institute for Discovery, which is an institute that is focused on, I suppose our, our mission is to drive forward interdisciplinary research in our university. And we really believe that um, when people come together from dis- different disciplines, the magic happens. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm a big believer in that myself. And Patricia, I'm assuming you're in Dublin today. Is that correct? I am. Absolutely. I'm in very sunny Dublin, Ireland today, and it is now currently around lunchtime. Fantastic. So we're doing an early morning one for me. And uh, here in Toronto, it's beautifully sunny, but it is minus two degrees. So winter is definitely on its way. Yeah, same here. It's really cold here today as well, actually. Oh, well, okay. So Patricia, the other thing we like to do with everybody on the show is find out about a hobby or something you do out of work when you're not biochemistrying. So tell me a bit about that. Yeah, so uh, when I was younger, I actually trained as a ballet dancer um, and I used to do ballet six, seven days a week when I was in school. Um, but And so I still love to dance uh, even all these years later. And a couple of years ago, I organized in the university, I organized a Strictly Come Dancing competition, which I organized, but also danced in as well. But we raised uh, over $25,000 for charity uh, as, as well as been thoroughly enjoyable event. Fantastic. So I, um, I do like to dance, although I have two left feet and trip over constantly. But uh, that's a brilliant uh, thing to do. And the, the Strictly Come Dancing thing sounds like a lot of fun. All right, so let's get back to the subject in hand. So um, you're using analytics at the very core of your research. Yeah. So tell me about you know, why did you take that approach and how does that play out in the real world? 
Yeah, so I have to kind of take a step back for a minute and tell you a little bit more about platelets uh, and where this all came from. So, and it actually goes back to my dad as well. So my dad's, you know, ill health journey started, uh, you know, 25 years ago. And and I saw, I suppose, living that with him, I saw the need for better diagnostics in the clinic. Um, and that's uh, where I suppose, so platelets are, are, are really fascinating. So they circulate around in our blood, but the really... Um, understudied thing about platelets is that as they circulate around in our bodies, they pick up information in real time. So they're really like a store inside is a ready source of biomarkers. And that's what my lab has focused on for the last 20 years is getting this information out of platelets. And we've generated a lot of data in that process. And that's made me incredibly passionate then about trying to intersect all of the data that we've come from from a biomedical science perspective and bring that together with uh, you know machine learning and analytics very interesting and i understand as well that you're using python in your work how's that working for you yeah, so um, we're using, uh, we're coding in Python, we're coding in R, and we're also coding in SAS. So we actually use the SAS via platform um, to bring together all our data, um, and we've coded in, in every language, and um, we're using that. Uh, so we're using SAS via platform on uh, Microsoft Azure. Oh, brilliant, which is uh, kind of the future for us all in healthcare, really. Uh, just a quick spin-off on that one then. Um, you have, I guess, some personal data in that. Did you have any problems ethically in yeah. using a cloud to deploy your, your software? Yeah, actually, so um, everything, so we're in Europe, so everything is GDPR compliant. So one particular project that we're working with is uh, we're working with the three main maternity hospitals in Dublin and Ireland, and uh, they're really busy, busy hospitals with uh, about 12,000 each live births every year um, so um, we uh, you know you have to go through a lot of ethical approval to do these studies you have to be incredibly GDPR compliant but we we worked really closely with the hospitals in terms of being GDPR compliant and making sure that the platform we're using is so it was just I suppose bringing the right people together has allowed this project to accelerate the way it has. Now, that's really good to hear because that is something that we hear a lot about is this kind of move to cloud being very difficult. So um, let's, for our listeners, let's get into our project. So you've got this wonderful uh, AI stack in your university. Uh, you've got all your knowledge of platelets and the like. So how are you now translating that into something real that we can kind of see and feel? Yeah, so so a, a number of years ago, we started using this idea of uh, platelets as a ready source of biomarkers. We began using that in a project on preeclampsia. Um, and we found new diagnostic markers for preeclampsia. So now I have to revert a little bit and tell you a little bit about preeclampsia. So preeclampsia actually affects one in every 10 pregnancies. And wow. Yeah, it's huge. And it's something that, unfortunately, pregnant women sometimes hear about too late. And the issue is globally, and these are probably an underestimated figures because they're not really categorized in lower income countries, um, about 50,000 women and 500,000 ba- babies die every year because of preeclampsia. And not only that, because the only cure right now uh, for preeclampsia is delivery of the baby. Um, About another 5 million babies are born worldwide prematurely every year. And that comes with huge, huge issues for that baby um, in terms of, you know, 
um, especially neurological issues uh, uh, for that baby, especially if they're born as early as 25, 26 weeks of pregnancy. So right now, there is no diagnostic test for preeclampsia. Um, preeclampsia, there's lots of rule out tests, but preeclampsia is still diagnosed the same way as it was diagnosed, you know, in the 1960s. It's still, still diagnosed by reading blood pressure and uh, looking at uh, proteinuria. So um, there's been really no disruptive technology in that area at all. Um, and it's, you know, with the figures that I've said, you know, the amount of women and babies dying, but also this affects a lot of pregnancies, one in every 10 pregnancies. And it can affect women in so many different ways. It's not just one disease it's like umbrella disorder so to actually find a, a die you know a way to diagnose preeclampsia you need to use I suppose lots of information um, to give the clinician all that information together in one way and that was what we we said about doing so this is a project the AI Premi project so what we're doing is we're bringing in the diagnostics that we have from blood that we've gotten from our knowledge of platelets and we're putting that together with all the information that is available on that woman throughout her pregnancy journey. So all her blood tests, all uh, protein, her, her um, blood pressure me measurements, everything. We're combining all of that information together along, I suppose, with clinician gut instinct. We're building that into the algorithm as well. And so we're putting that all in together. And you see, you can't do that with standard statistics or standard analytics. You need to have machine learning involved in that to actually unbiasedly pick out what are the main uh, the main um, markers that are driving uh, the uh, diagnosis of preeclampsia in that algorithm. Uh, so, so because it's such a, um, because preeclampsia, I suppose, as I said, is such a, a difficult, complicated disease or diseases, you need a difficult, complicated way of analyzing the data. And that's using, I suppose, um, machine learning and AI to be able to pull out the right information and the right knowledge at the right time. And so the, the goal here is to be able to feed that directly to the clinician. So, you know, when the clinician needs that information, you know, they're, they're making the decision to diagnose preeclampsia. But what also we have built in is, you know, when, when they should deliver that baby. And that's huge because if they can, you know, every hour for that baby inside in utero counts. So if they can leave that baby in for another couple of days, a week, you know, that's going to make a huge, huge difference to that, to basically the quality of life for that baby and its family. So um, being able to deliver and categorize and bring all that information together, this multimodal information, if you like, together and, and deliver it to the computer screen of the clinician at the right time. It's almost this idea of augmented intelligence that you're giving them all that information. So that's the, the dream. That's the goal. Uh, at the end, there, you mentioned augmented intelligence. That's something I talk about a lot, actually. And and the idea that, you know, people shouldn't be concerned that AI is going to replace their doctor, but the doctor using AI is going to be far more efficient and far better at diagnosis than the doctor who doesn't use it. So I kind of want to think then about the kind of next step. So um, how do you collaborate with other universities and with industries as well to kind of take your idea and start to grow that into like a real world use case? 
Yeah. So right now we're, as I said, we're in the three Dublin maternity hospitals. So we're covering 50% of all the births in Ireland. So yeah, I mean, next steps for us is to be able to bring that nationally and internationally. And it's working to, you know, really working. We're right now we're funded by a um, an Irish government funding agency. So we're in a kind of a challenge societal good funding. But you know, you can really see if 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 industry, the power of industry coming behind this to be able to deliver this product to every woman who needs it. Because really, you know what's our goal here what what's you know if, if i kind of my future dream on this ai premium project is 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 so that and everybody who's involved in this project is not just me as the team lead you know everybody that's come in on this project really wants to get this algorithm or this knowledge out into the real world into production that we can actually make a difference and hopefully save some of these lives i mean so having having industry behind that is is huge because you know we'll never be able to do that i think by ourselves because if you look at um if you look at how um algorithms that have come out or working ai that's come out of universities there's like a chasm there there's like a you know they all sometimes a lot of them fall down to actually get into production so this is a huge huge issue and to be able to put that into production would be a dream for us because it would it would it would absolutely save lives. I think that's why I like what you're doing so much. And and we talk about University of Alberta having the same kind of setup as you've got, because I've been to so many events now where, where a researcher will stand up and say, I've come up with this wonderful example of how we could save lives in the real world. Um, and now I finish my PhD, I'm going to put that on a shelf and it gets forgotten about. Uh, and we see all the complexities of software as a medical device. And we see all the other issues coming out of it, but uh, at the core, we need to translate things into the real world. So, uh, from your perspective, how is that process? How was it to get the hospitals to adopt this in the first place? Was it a difficult thing for them to start using it? I mean, um, we have champions, and I think the real thing here is bringing people together. And I'll keep going back to that. It's 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 the team. It's the multidisciplinary bringing people together around a cause. I think that's how this has worked so well. Um, and then just you know, you've got to do it in a very GDPR way, you know, we had to make sure that the data was done, you know, we, 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 we did everything properly, ethical approval, but, but we, people jumped on board on this and hospitals jumped on board. So it's working really quite well, actually. And, um, when you think about things that are blockages and things that cause barriers to successful change in healthcare, what, what are some of those barriers look like? You know, and you've already mentioned some of the things you've done to overcome them. But, but in general, when other people are looking at this, what are the barriers that are going to come against? Yeah, it's, it, I mean, the first barrier I can think of is this chasm between, you know, almost university research where there's incredible research going on, but as you say, it just sits on a shelf and and it's never kind of, you know, that gold and diamonds that's in there are never extracted to make a difference in the real world. And that's something that I'm incredibly passionate about is 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 getting it in getting these algorithms into production. And I think, you know, so you need something really, um, really um steadfast and really that, you know, that that can actually do this. So software and like, and that's the reason that we chose SAS via. That's the reason that we chose to do this in a in, in a cloud scenario, like using Azure, is that these stand up in the real world. So, you know that that's so that's the first thing is 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 that chasm. 
The second thing really is, is, is almost, and it's another passion of mine, is this idea of the democratization of AI technology to basic researchers in a university. So I know personally, you know, I come from a biomedical science background and, you know, we did very basic statistics, very basic analytics and, and, and to access the knowledge it was really quite difficult. So I'm incredibly passionate about, you know, democratizing AI and sharing that knowledge and and sharing, you know, being able to share a platform access into something like Sasfaya is incredibly powerful for somebody that they can code in or or they can code in Python and they are able to use this incredible software to to completely navigate the cycle and and get that algorithm into production. I mean, that that's that's key. I think so those two things, the chasm and then the democratization of AI will lead to, hopefully, a lot more translation of a lot of the incredible work that's going on in universities globally and get it into the real world. That'll make an absolute difference to people's lives. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's a really important thing for us to start looking at. How do we cross that chasm and get people to, to do this in the real world? So let's think about now, as we kind of come towards the end, the future. So what is your future aspiration, both on a personal level for your projects and the things that you're working on, but also in a broader sense, what do you think is the future for AI? And and on the timescale, like, you know, is it six months, a year, 10, whatever, what, play out the timescale for that as well. Okay, so I'll start with my personal view. So, I mean, and it's, uh, I suppose I've spoken a lot about our preeclampsia project and and personally, and I think it's, it's personal for me, but also for everybody that's involved in, in, in this multidisciplinary team is we really want to get our AI preemie test to every woman who needs us, you know, all across the world. And and that would be the dream. And and if we can do that, then we will save lives. So, so that's, I suppose, my personal dream, but in terms of, you know, the AI and healthcare and where this could go. I mean, if we can get this, if if we can get AI Premi up and running in every hospital environment globally, you know, there's there's a there's a real potential there then to completely disrupt diagnostics in healthcare globally. You know, we mm-hmm. you know we're using diagnostics that have come from our research, but we could use any diagnostic. If you have the formula and you've got this working and it works and it stands up in a real world environment, then, you know, we can use different diagnostics and maybe slightly different patient characteristics and then translate this into any, any disease. And that's, I suppose, the incredible thing here is that the potential, if you can, because... I mean, I looked actually, and 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 there is there. I cannot find a, a, an example of algorithms that have come from universities that are actually working in the real world. I mean, wearable devices come the closest, um, mm-hmm. and there is some kind of um, AI and robotics and surgery, you know, where they, but it's still surgeon controlled AI. So, imagine if we can actually have, you know, we could completely disrupt diagnostics globally by actually having a solution that brings in all the information that's available because you know when you think about it greg all this information is available but it's a matter of amalgamating it and bringing together in a really useful way and it's again it brings me back to that augmented intelligence and timelines i think 
you know, if we got, if you can do it for one project, then why not do it for thousands? And that's, you know, so uh, the timelines on that are really just, I suppose, based on funding and imagination. <laughs> but it seems to me that, you know, particularly your preeclampsia work, and, and sorry, this just came to me as you were, as you were chatting there, particularly your preeclampsia work, it seems to be a very low cost against a very high reward. And so I would be very hopeful that folks would see it that way and you would start to see a rapid uptake. Um, does that yeah. ring true? Is it low cost or high reward? It seems to be what you've described. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, because we're cloud-based, you know, um, but you could even do it locally and just have the machines speaking to the cloud intermittently. I mean, this the, this technology exists in the clinic. Uh, so... Yeah, I think I think it 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 could be easily achieved. Yeah, fantastic. You know what? Thank you, Patricia, for all those insights and the discussion today. I think it's been really interesting, and we're going to throw it over to the listeners and the viewers now um, in our audience. So please email your questions to the Health Pulse Podcast at sas dot com. Uh, please add comments on the YouTube channel as well. Um, I'm really interested on this one to hear your views on this democratization of AI and how do we get people who are not researchers, how you know, not statisticians, to understand the value of augmented AI. So let's get those comments in as well because. Uh, this is the sixth and final episode in the current season, and we're going to be looking to put together a new season for uh, next year, early 2022. So those comments and the like do help us pick guests and to formulate where we go next with the podcast. So please keep them coming in. Um, please remember also to subscribe and share the podcast, either through your podcast aggregator or through the YouTube channel. And just to wrap up, I've been your host, Greg Horn. Uh, so this has been the sixth episode, final episode in season two. And I hope you've enjoyed uh, listening and watching as much as, as kind of I have in making it. It's been a really good, fun thing to do. Uh, I want to thank you for joining us today and look forward to bringing you another season, hopefully early in the new year. So thank you very much. Bye.